Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Friday evening. Earlier today, President Trump down at the southern border. And wait until you hear what a chief Border Patrol person had to say about what's happening down there. I mean, it is fantastic build a wall, which you're going to hear more about that in just a moment. We start tonight, though, with the latest on the horrific homicides in Mandan. Chad Isaac, the suspect in company, had his first court appearance today. More on that in just a moment as well. But according to the affidavit, as I said last night, crime scene was just beyond gruesome. I mean, you think about, you know, the worst that you ever think about in a movie, and it was that kind of a crime scene. Nine rounds fired, uh, people stabbed, gruesome stabbing wounds. I don't want to get into all the details, but it is a horrifying and heinous scene. So tonight, just together, I just want us to ask some questions about what we know so far, what's been taking place, and really to ask, I think the first question is, look at this guy. What's his motivation? This guy's got no record as of right now. Chris Isaac, clean record. One thing to note, RJR recently became his landlord. Um, but what would motivate a guy with no record to go and brutally, brutally murder four people? Think about that for a moment. I want to share with you a bit from the affidavit, if we can bring this graphic up, please. But here's this is from the affidavit. It says, law enforcement obtained surveillance equipment from RJR, which helps show a timeline of events and an attacker. The attacker can be seen arriving in RJR surveillance at approximately 6.47 in the morning. The attacker was wearing bright colored top, dark pants, and bright colored headgear. So we've got some kind of headgear on. Keep that in mind. It's clear on the surveillance that attacker is the sole individual inflicting injury upon the victims. Per surveillance, no other individuals are seen coming or going other than employees. Suspect exits the building and walks off camera shortly after 7 a.m. While exiting the building, the attackers observed wearing dark colored clothing on RJR video surveillance. So I bring all this up because in this affidavit, as you saw there, it's claiming this person came in and out in 13 minutes, essentially. Now, granted, there obviously was nine rounds fired, so maybe he, he shot him and then stabbed him. But it's also in the affidavit labor that he went out and picked up each one of those nine casings that were fired and then put them in some bag and a sock uh, in the place where he resides. But does all that happen in 13 minutes? I have no idea. I can't even fathom what this guy did. So it very well may could have. Just something to consider since it's in the affidavit. The other thing I want to look at tonight is this, is that the chief of police every single day told us, look, there is no risk, there is no public threat. And this is a person who ha has known, knows how heinous and horrific this crime scene is. So every single day this week, chief of police out of Mandan, Jason Ziegler, has repeatedly told you, look, there is no risk to the public. There is no harm to the public that he can think of. Now, I don't understand how he knows that considering this guy's got no record and walks in and does this absolutely just gruesome, heinous crime, which appears to most of us to be no reason. Obviously, the chief of police has got more information than I do, but I want to share with you what the chief shared with you throughout the week and then put that next to what the judge said today. So here's chief of police several times this week. Chief Jason Ziegler has said Monday there is no reasons based upon the information that we have that the public safety is is at peril Tuesday we do not believe the public at large is in any danger and Wednesday we do not feel the public is in any danger 
So every single day, he says, look, we feel there's no danger, there's no risk to the public. I guess I'm wondering just how is he so sure, knowing this guy's got no record? Was there something in the crime scene maybe that, that tipped him off? I don't know. But what I do want to share with you is this. He says no risk to the public. Today, at his first uh, appearance in court, the judge put a million-dollar bail on this guy, a million-dollar, excuse me, a bond, a million-dollar bond. But here's why he said, he goes, look, normally I don't know if I would do a million dollars, but I feel like I have to do a million dollars because of this. Uh, there is an extreme safety concern for the community, extreme safety concern for uh, employees of RJR and the families that are associated with this particular uh, set of series of events. The court feels very uh, adamantly uh, that a substantial bond is, is, is critically necessary to ensure the safety of the public, to ensure the safety of Mr. Isaac and his position where he is. I don't think there's any other way to do it under the circumstances. A bond will be $1 million. $1 million. Uh. So you heard there the very opening, extreme safety concern because of this person, uh, extreme safety of the public and himself. And keep in mind, the judge has only read the affidavit. He hasn't even seen the crime scene like the chief of police has. So chief of police says no risk to the public. Today, the judge puts a million dollar bond on the guy saying because you are an extreme risk to the public and to the people at RJR and obviously to Mr. Isaac himself. One thing I do want to remind all of us here is that we live in a great country, the United States of America, where I don't know how this is going to play out. I haven't seen all the evidence, obviously. And keep in mind that people are innocent until proven guilty in front of their jurors, or maybe this guy will plead out. We don't know at this point. But boy, watching the live streams today on Facebook, I mean, everyone was like, hang this guy. Don't even give him a... Just please, people, innocent until proven guilty. We've said that forever on the show, whether it was for sexual assault situations or people are doing... Just let's remember that. We'll let the legal process play out in the situation and see what happens here with Chad Isaac. All right, earlier today, President Trump was at the southern border of Calexico, California, to talk about the wall, building the wall, finishing the wall, border security, and just the absolutely ridiculous, insane, weak immigration laws that we have. Here's what's fascinating, folks. Remember, we talked about this with Senator John Hoven back in the day when they were having the negotiation about what they were going to do to come up with some kind of deal. And Senator Hoven always said, you know, we need Border Patrol. We need ICE in these meetings because they are apolitical. They're not going to do anything about a political conversation. They just want to keep our country safe. They want to keep our people safe. How many times have you heard from the other side of the aisle, the Democrats, that walls don't work? Walls are immoral. They're not going to have any impact on illegal immigration. Well, this is a person with boots on the ground. This is the chief patrol agent of the El Centro sector, Gloria Chavez. I think it's pretty safe to assume that she's of Hispanic descent. Okay, so she, you know, here's what she had to say today about what it meant for the El Centro sector of her border because they just recently, you know, this is a bit longer soundbite, but please listen closely because of what everyone says about how walls don't work and what someone actually on the ground says about the impact that a wall has had on her section of the border. But one of the things I wanted to bring up was that border wall was constructed in eight months from February to October. As soon as it was completed, we started measuring and we started monitoring its effectiveness. So for the first quarter of FY19, we have had many, many efficiencies noted. For example, illegal entries in general, they decreased by 75%. Central American people that used to get arrested right through that area decreased by 86%. 
India nationals, this sector was leading the country with Indian national apprehensions for like two or three years. Mm. The wall goes up, it drops by 56%. The use of force incidents, which are more important to me than anything, because it's assaults and incidents that, that directly uh, affect our Border Patrol agents doing the job on the border, they drop by 65% in those two miles of 30-foot mm. border wall. So the border wall works for us. For Border Patrol agents, a border wall system is what works. Yeah, take that, Chuck and Nancy. <laughs> I had to build the wall. All right, join us tonight. She's doing incredible work talking about what's happening down at the border. She's got a show on Facebook, Mexican Crossing Lines. Cindy Gomez Shemp, always great to have you in studio. Welcome back to the show. I got to get your reaction to what uh, Ms. Chavez there had to say because we always hear other people saying walls don't work, it's not going to have impact. Clearly, she's got a different opinion. Well, I mean, migration is changing. Uh, there's mass migration in these caravans. We've never seen anything like that before. So there definitely has to be a change in how we approach stopping that migration. And it's not the only way that we're going to stop that migration because, of course, there's still going to be people that are going to overstay their visas, that are going to be flying in. But it is an important step to ensuring that we can keep people safe, especially Border Patrol. But were you stunned at her data points? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was incredible, the, yeah. the drops. Because right now, I mean, there's reports that people are being bussed in, busfuls of people. We're not going to be able to stop that if we don't have places like that are, you know, roads that are basically leading people in without any kind of, you know, deterrent. I want to have you on tonight because I, I see you've got this great show you're doing on Facebook. You're talking to a lot of people that are on the border, their boots on the ground, on both sides of the border, really. So if you would, just give people an idea, you know, maybe some of the most important things you think our audience should know from what you're gathering from the people that you're talking to down there and who are they specifically? Um, I've been talking to someone from Border News Network called Oscar El Blue Ramirez and uh, he has been reporting along with some of his colleagues along the border in El Paso and he's in Tijuana. What he's been telling me about what's happening um, in Tijuana proper is that there are a lot of legal advisors that are coming to El Chaparral, which is where people go and stand in line to wait for that number. And they're advising. They're giving people legal advice. And these are U.S. These, attorneys? These are or... U.S. attorneys and volunteers working with this organization called Al Otro Lado. Is that even legal? I, I, I don't think so because we know that Nora Phillips, one of the lead attorneys in that group, was deported mm -hmm. from Mexico. And the reason she was deported was because she told them she was there on vacation, not giving legal advice. Second of all, if you go into another country to work, you got to get a work visa. That takes time. But just to be clear, they're giving legal advice on, let's say, you were coming up from uh, Honduras or El Salvador, and they're basically coaching you on, okay, Cindy, once you hit that soil, this is how you're going to claim asylum. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? They have even handouts that has like a hand on it and it has numbers on each finger and it says your asylum is in your hands and it tells you what you need to do to pass your credible fear interview. So they're getting people through that process but once they're here or once they're in the United States the likelihood that they're going to get asylum is about three but the problem is, though, is that because they get to claim asylum, the courts now are all backed up because of these caravans and whatnot. So we're so overwhelmed, we've got to catch and release. Right. Catch and release, right? And we're not going to see those interior. people back. We're not going to see those people back. Because if you know that there is a snowball chance in hell that you're going to get asylum, why would you show up to your hearing? 
I think that this is a ploy to get as many people in here and then they're just going to disappear. How much of it is a ploy? I said this last night that I believe that the Democrats go, hey, look, we're not going to change anything because, gosh, if we can flip Arizona and Texas to blue, we're, we're going to have the presidency indefinitely. Well, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the, the Democrats uh, feel that this is a, a good way of uh, speaking to their base. But ultimately, as somebody that considered themselves a progressive, I think that this is destroying the Democratic Party because um, nobody, especially Mexicans, Latinos, that are the majority in this country, um, are going to like that. Uh, this group of people is getting in front of line. They're skipping to the front of the line, whether it's asylum cases or anything else having to do with immigration policy. And that's leaving so us out that. of the how equation. How are they skipping to the front of the line? Well, the, uh, the uh, pastor that I'm talking to in Tijuana and Oscar El Blue told me, if you are following the legal process, you have to wait three to six months on average in Mexico before you're going to get your hearing date, okay? And if you cross illegally into the United States, you're getting released within three days of detention. And you're getting your hearing mm. set for like 30 to uh, 60 <clears throat> days in the future. That means you're jumping to the front of the line. For the people that are doing it legally from Central America and other countries in Mexico, you're also jumping in line for the process that is happening here in the United wow. States. I want to play another clip to, uh, from Ms. Chavez. She was talking about how they've also caught what are now dubbed as fake families. Here in the sector just this year, fiscal year 19, we have identified 193 fake families, people who are just teaming up kids with them to come through because they know that they can get a court date later and be able to get released into the community. To me, stunning. To you, you say what? It's very common. And, and the thing is that Mexico people already know this. They know that they're taking kids and creating uh, the semblance of a family because they're going to be let out of detention facilities, more likely to get let out well, of detention facilities. Well, you told me off the faster. air that you saw there was a, a person videoing. It was a coyote and a woman. And tell people what you he, saw he, he just on walked, video. Yeah, he just walked up to a group of people. And he was telling people to get on the transport buses that were coming. And he said, women, children, uh, families. And one of the kids that was there says uh, to the woman, do you want to be my mom? And she's like, sure, I'll, I'll be your mom. And then she hugs him. And then the guy filming says, I don't know. He's, he seems a little bit dark to be our kid. I don't think that he'll pass. And she says, oh, no, he'll, he could pass for our child. And they, then he says, okay, well, we'll adopt. You're going to be our child. And another guy walks up and goes, can I be the brother? And it's so all videotaping. When they show up as a family unit, our laws are so weak and so bad that they can exploit our immigration laws, and then they get, as she just said, they get put into the interior, correct? Yeah, but this, it's not just wow. families. It's also marriages because they are performing fake marriages in Mexico. This law group is performing fake marriages. And I think, Josh, do we have the clip on that? Okay, so we, we have a clip, but unfortunately we're having a little tech issue right now. But there was a clip that you can see from Cindy. Again, check out her show on Facebook. People actually saying, hey, you're conducting fake marriages. She's like, well, we used to, but we're not doing that anymore. So yeah. I want to move on to this quickly because in the Minnesota House, just today as a matter of fact, and you and I differ on this, it's good to see that you're, you're coming around a little bit on immigration, but you do support this. 
the Minnesota House passed a bill that now is going to give driver's license mm. to illegal immigrants. So you're saying... It's a great idea. It's good. Because we're let's documenting... Let's reward illegal activity. Okay. No, no. We're, we're going to document that people have a tra the training to get a driver's license and that you have insurance. You know why? Because I don't want somebody on the road that doesn't know how to drive properly and I don't want somebody that's uninsured. I had a case when I was first starting out as a translator where a woman and her three children, all under the age of five, lost their husband to a group of undocumented immigrants that were drinking. And they, she lost her home, she couldn't continue to work because they worked opposite shifts to take care of the kids. There wasn't even enough money to bury him he had insurance on his car, but Look, there wasn't I, I even enough. I don't mean to sound money. callous. That story is horrible. Right. But what is giving a person a license going to do to change that? There's a ton of people in our state that have a license that drive drunk. First of all, right, right. But if you don't have a license, you can be fined. If you don't have insurance, you can be fined. If you don't have both, you can get put in jail if you have an accident. This gives no accountability. As long as you don't have driver's licenses and insurance, those people have no accountability. There's nothing that can be done to them. But they're already breaking the law. And my, my big issue from a standpoint of Minnesota is in Minnesota, they've got just a voucher system where basically I can show up on voting day and go, oh, I know Cindy, she's good. Yeah, she lives in my precinct. And now they actually have this photo ID to show up to go, well, maybe, and they're not even a legal citizen, but they may actually get an opportunity to vote. I don't know if that uh, outweighs the importance of having uh, people identified in a database that with insurance and with a legal driver license. I think that the importance of saving lives outweighs the importance of possibly having somebody commit voter fraud. But, but how are you saving lives? That's what I'm saying. That This person could have been drunk driving no matter because what. Because I think that if you give people a way to get their driver's license and get their insurance and be on the, on the level as far as driving goes, then they're going to do it. And by the way, we don't have the infrastructure to have people driving or you know using buses if we had that kind of infrastructure then yeah I get it driving is a privilege and you're right but we don't have that we don't have that anywhere really in this country I guess I don't follow because just a moment ago you're like hey Chris we got to stop this we don't want these people coming here illegally they're going to jump to the front now you're saying but hey these let's people reward. are already here Chris but let's let's reward that why not just deport them I think that it's not a reward for them I think it's a protection for the rest of the people that are on the road with them all right Great conversation. We appreciate it. Keep up <laughs> the great you. work. Tell people your Facebook page real quick. Uh, 88.1 FM. It's a great show. Um, She's doing some phenomenal, phenomenal work. So thanks Thank for being you. here.